how do you know which way to go? How do you know what, what to do, how to act, and uh, how to live? And so, uh, well, how do I know, right? And so we're going to be spending some time in Ephesians 4. Go ahead and open your Bible. You want to know which way to go, right, left, up, down. I'm sure you have decisions in your life that you're trying to make. And I'm just telling you the place to go, the place that's going to give you clarity and direction is the Word of God, right? And so we're going to be going after that the next four weeks as we head into Easter season and uh, remembering Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. So hey, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read that in just a second, but I want to show a verse that Ron showed you guys last week in the service up on the screen. Here it is, Jeremiah 6, 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Which way do I go? Do I go this way? Do I go this way? Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. That's what we're doing, walking this way, walking in it. And find rest for your souls. You know what? There's rest in what we're going to talk about today. It'll find rest for your souls. All right? But, but notice the end of this. Notice the end. I, this caught me last week. But they said, we will not walk in it. And today we have a choice, right? I'm going to preach on unity. And you have a choice. You can walk in unity or you can choose not to. But they were unified, the lot of them, Israel, where they were unified, they were like, we're not going to walk that way. We're not going to walk in unity. We don't want that thing. And I'm imploring you, (laughs) exhorting you today, as it says in the Word, to walk in the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So let me pray to that end. God, please, as we enter your house today, as we are before you in your throne room through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, we need our hearts to be softened again today. We need to be open to receive your truth, your word in love. So God, please do a supernatural work. Where we've grieved or quenched the Spirit this week, forgive us. God, wash us white as snow today through the blood of the Lamb and cause us to be in fellowship with you, to have the fullness of God in us. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let me read just six verses today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. A lot of oneness going on here. You might want to just write in the top of your paper a big O-N-E, one, right? Because that's what this is about. This is about unity. Walk in unity. We're going to talk about unity today. 
Before I do that, I just want to give you a couple introductory uh, comments here from the text. So I, therefore, who's the I? Somebody tell me who the I is. Paul, great. We know that from verses 1-1 and verses 3-1. I, Paul, right? Therefore, when he says therefore, he's trying to connect something. What he's going to say and what he has said. So what has he said? We just spent a bunch of time in doctrine, right? Like, this is who you are in Christ. The wealth, the riches you have in Jesus Christ. Do you know it? If not, read Ephesians 1 through 3. <laughs> and that needs to connect with, over here, how you conduct your daily life. How you live it out. How you walk. Your wealth determines your walk. They should measure up together. It's a connector a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for the Lord. So he's in prison for the name of Jesus Christ, for preaching to the Gentiles. I've never been in prison for preaching, not yet. But I think there's something we can learn right here, and I don't want to gloss by it. It costs something in this world to follow Jesus Christ. It costs something. It'll cost you worldly pleasures, It'll cost you resources, time, talents, energy, money. It'll cost you something. If you're going to follow this book, it's going to cost you something. It'll cost you relationships in your family and friends. Not because you don't love them, but because they'll stop loving you because of who you love in Jesus Christ. It'll cost you freedom. To go and do and say whatever you want. You can't anymore. I'm bound by love to Christ and his word. I want to live like him. I'm not my own anymore. It'll cost you maybe your life. Definitely, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's cost you your life. Uh, spiritually speaking, you are dead to the old self and you are alive in the new self. But physically speaking, I'm not afraid to die. And I'm not afraid to die for the, the name of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God for salvation. And I believe in a hope that is beyond this world. So whether pleasures or resources or relationships or freedoms or life, whatever you have to give up, it's worth it. And Paul's saying that in these few words, a prisoner for the Lord. Urge you. Do you see it there? I have it underlined in my Bible. I'm urging you. Maybe you could see my tone already today is a little bit like, come on! Right? And I think that's the tone of the passage. Let's go! Right? Let's go! He says, I urge you. I exhort you. I implore you. I ask you earnestly. I strongly encourage you. Exclamation point. Times five. I urge you to walk. Walk is a word that the New Testament uses often of our conduct, of our life in Christ. This is how we walk. This is how we conduct ourselves. Walk in a manner worthy. You see it there? In a manner worthy. Look right at the scriptures. To walk in a manner worthy. And so this needs to be said before we get to the rest of how we're going to walk, okay? Walk in a manner worthy. So worthy is an interesting word. Only God is worthy. I don't know if you knew that. 
Because no matter what you put on this side of the scale, you put God on this side and he balances it. He's worthy, okay? And so what he's saying here is worthy. We need to walk in a manner worthy. Okay, so put right here on this side, chapters one through three, and everything you are in Christ. Everything he's said to you, everything he's given you, everything he's done for you, and all of who you are, the wealth, the riches of glory you have in Christ. And over here, this needs to balance. How you act, how you live, how you walk, it needs to be in balance. This is who you are, this is how you act in Christ. That's to walk worthy, in balance. Our calling and our character, our calling and our conduct in balance. This is how we walk. All right, I've gotten done my introductory comments. I think they're all important. They're going to be important not just for this message, for the next four, okay? Um, he's definitely speaking to believers. Are we clear on that? So I'm talking to a group of people who are believers and unbelievers. There's some people that go to our church uh, that don't believe yet, and that's okay. We hope you'll keep coming. But I want to be very clear who I'm talking about today and who he's talking to today. He's talking to believers, those who have believed and put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It deals with some election. It deals with some of the things that we talked about in chapter 1 and salvation in chapter 2. There's the calling to which you've been called. He's talking to believers in the church. See, people want to use the word unity and they want to do this with it. They want to say, make the road broader so everybody can come on it. And God's picture of unity is that all of us who are wandering like sheep on the broad road have now come into line on the narrow road and we're walking in a single file line on the narrow road. We're walking this way. The world's picture of unity and tolerance is different than our picture of unity. Don't forget the truth in unity. Give you a definition of the word unity. You can write it down if you want, but this is from Webster, so I wouldn't. Just saying. The state of being united or joined as a whole. That's unity. Another definition, different person. A condition of harmony. Another definition, I just kept digging. The quality or state of being made one. All right, but we're applying it in the context of believers. So let me give you the def definition I've studied and crafted and gone after. Here it is, it's on the screen. Unity in the church means believers. Believers are those who are being the disciples of Jesus Christ. They're being the disciples of Jesus Christ. Unity in the church means believers are in agreement and act together in harmony to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. You do want to write that one down. Okay, start writing. You want to write that one down because this is what we're supposed to do. Unity in the church means believers are in agreement and act together 
in harmony to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus. Give you just a second. Unity. That's what we're going for. This kind of unity in this church. And it means that believers are in agreement. There's some things we're going to agree on today. And we act together in harmony to glorify God by making disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is unity. Now write this thought down. This is where it all starts. Unity starts in my heart. If I'm divided inside, there's no way I'm going to be unified outside. Unity starts in my heart. I don't know if God's good. I don't know if God's good. I don't know if God's good. You can know God's good. He's good. And that will help you with unity. Unity starts in my heart. Verses 1 through 3, I've already read most of those. But it says here, With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do you see it there? The unity of the Spirit. This unity isn't like the unity in the world where everything's going on and we're all okay with it. This unity is in the Spirit. It's tested, it's tried, it's true. It's unity in the Spirit. If the Spirit tells you something and the Spirit tells me something, they will always agree. They will never disagree, or one of us is not in the Spirit. I guarantee. That is a guarantee. The Spirit will not tell you, Jeremy, something he won't tell me. Bryce, the Spirit's not going to tell you something that it won't tell me. He won't tell me. That's comforting. The Spirit is always consistent so that's why truth is important. So look at these four graces, these four qualities that he says need to be in our lives. There's four of them. Humility. Let's start with that one. Humility. It's the opposite of pride. You're like, I got that already. <laughs> Thanks for preparing all week to tell me that. It's the opposite of pride. You see, you can't think too highly of yourself and you can't think too lowly of yourself. you got to be comfortable in your own skin. God made you who he made you to be. Be happy with it. To agree with God on what he's made you to be is to be humble. God, you did a good thing here. But it also is knowing your defects. I'm well aware that I preach too long. I'm well aware that pride is a problem in my life. I'm well aware that pornography is the thing that is always nipping at my heels. I'm well aware of these defects. I'm not proud of that. But I know it. And hopefully that encapsulates humility. You got problems? Got issues? Yeah. Knowing it's a good thing. Confessing it's even better. But that takes humility. If you want to be humbled, 
in case you're like, man, I really want that. If you want to be humbled, read and believe what the Bible says about you. You're like, what? Yeah. Romans 3.10. All have sinned. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <laughs> Isaiah 53. Right? All we like sheep. We're wandering all over the place. We're all gone astray. All gone astray. Everyone. I circled it in my Bible. Everyone has turned to his own way. You say, but I like the end of that verse. The Lord has laid his iniquity on us all. Yeah, but the Lord has laid the iniquity of, you know, on Jesus Christ. The Lord did that. You can't take any credit for that. Jesus died for you. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It goes on to say, God knows it. God knows your heart. But if you read and believe what the Bible says about you, even you might read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'll ask some of you to do that later. It's just going to help you see who you really are in Christ. Humility. And then this, gentleness or meekness. It's the same word, gentleness, meekness. Maybe you've heard the definition, meekness isn't weakness. Yeah, you know, whatever, that's contrite. I think we have the wrong idea of gentleness. Gentleness is strength under control. It's power that has been tamed. What has it been tamed by? The love of Christ. I have the authority to say to you this, but I'm going to say it to you in such a way that it's not going to be offensive. Gentleness, meekness, Moses, Jesus, both were called meek. Matter of fact, Jesus preached on all four of the things I'm, I'm teaching on right now in the Beatitudes. You, you just might write this down. Uh, the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. You go read it. It's all right there. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are the meek. It's self-control. It's literally the picture. If I give you a picture, you ever seen somebody put their head in a lion's mouth? You ever seen somebody holding a snake and you're like, dude, I'm never doing that. That's the picture. It's a trained animal. We can be trained by the Holy Spirit to be gentle and meek. To have strength, but under control. We're not bulls in china closets, okay? Then this, patience, long-suffering. Unity starts in my heart with these qualities, patience, that is long-suffering. That's our ability to endure suffering without fighting back. I won't avenge myself of this wrong. I'm going to be patient. That's so hard. When somebody does, especially if you're a truth teller. Any truth tellers in the audience? Yep, yep. So if you do something, I'm going to tell you the truth, man. Man, I'm working on that patience right there, right? I know what's right and wrong. I know that doesn't seem right. But patience is waiting for the right opportunity to say the right thing, right? It's enduring. Patience is a muscle. It has to be strengthened. It has to be worked out. I'm hopefully getting more and more patient as I grow older, 
Patience has to deal with uh, circumstances, accepting my circumstances as from God. I don't like the circumstances I've, I've, I'm in. I don't like the hand I've been dealt, but, but I have patience to bear up under it, and I'm going to ask God to deliver me from it. So that's long-suffering. I suffer long. And then this last thing, which deals more with people than circumstances, forbearance in love forbearance in love it says in the scriptures here bearing with one another in love forbearance in love <clears throat> literally we must put up with one another okay the church is alive right i got a heartbeat and therefore i got stuff that i'm going to do and say and that might offend you even if we are like aligned just our personalities rub each other wrong Right? Right? I was like, I'm the only one. For a second there, I wanted to crawl in a hole. We got to put up with one another's faults. We're sinners. We're saved by grace. We're going to sin again today and tomorrow and the next day. But we're going to be forgiven as we repent and confess. And we've got to put up with one another. We got to put up with the person that won't talk in small group, and we got to put up with the person that talks way too much in small group. Right? And we got to put up with the smugness of the person who's like, I talk just the right amount. (laughs) I don't think you can avoid this. We all have our own faults. Can you be honest with yourself? Can you start to just get something in your mind that you need to confess to somebody today? Please. This is dealing with people graciously. The love here is not a phila love, a receiving love. I'm going to get some love. It's a agape love. It's God's love. It's a, I'm, it's a giving love. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you and give you unity starts in my heart it must start in my heart and it must start with these four qualities humility gentleness patience forbearance in love eager to maintain i love that eager to maintain eager right i'm passionately energetically ready to do this to maintain Notice the word is to maintain, or you could just write down in your notes because it's shorter, keep. Keep unity. Keep it. You're like, well, if I'm keeping it, somebody had to create it, right? Well, Jesus did that in chapter 2. He created unity. Uh, Just look back at verse uh, 15. I'll just abbreviate it for you of chapter 2. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and making peace and might reconcile us both to the God in one body through the cross and thereby killing the hostility. God created unity. God sent the Spirit. We are unified in the Spirit. It's the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Literally, Colossians 3.14 tells you that in the bond of the Spirit, uh, or in the bond of peace, he's just saying the word love again. 
That's what the bond of peace is. The bond of peace, the thing that brings peace and binds us together, is love. We need to maintain unity. We don't need to create unity. See, I think a lot of the world's like, yeah, let's create unity. Let's call everybody in. You do what you do. You, I'll do what I do. We're all good. That's creating unity. Jesus Christ created unity. We're not to create unity. We're to maintain the unity he created. Is that clear, church? Are we clear on that? Because that is what an unbelieving world is going to tell you is a lie time in and time out. You're going to be bombarded as you go out from here. And they're going to tell you you're a hater because you believe that. Unity is narrow. But we all believe a narrow thing. We believe in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace or love. Unity starts in my heart. Do you, do you know Jesus Christ? I mean, really? Because if you know Jesus Christ, we're unified. You and me. We're like perfectly one. Using those other qualities so that we can get along, but perfectly one. How amazing is that? John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's how narrow the road is. There's one way, it's Jesus. Look at verses 4 through 6 now and write this down. Unity shows in the church. It starts in my heart. I have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I have to be born again. I have to be made new. He has to create in me something clean. He has to infuse in me the Holy Spirit. I'm indwelt now with the Holy Spirit. If you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, Eric, then you and I, we're, we're unified. That is the unifying force. It is the unity of the Spirit. And the unity of the Spirit shows in the local church. The unity shows in the church. Now, not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Do you understand that? I mean, if you go out there and you say, hey, are you a Christian? What are they going to say? Yes. And if you ask them why, what are they going to say? America. <laughs> My parents went to church. I got baptized when I was a baby. They're going to say lots of silly stuff. But not everybody who says they're a Christian is a Christian, is a follower of Christ. That's what Christian means, little Christ, like Christ, follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus. What do disciples of Jesus do? What Jesus did. And not every church that you will locate in the phone book, or for you younger people, because you don't even know what a phone book is. In Google, your one-stop shop for everything in life. Glad we could simplify it for you. Okay? 
Not every church you find on Google or in your phone book, if they still make them, is a church. You need to know that. You need to be wise and discerning in where you go to church. So I thought I would give you what the passage gives you, seven marks of a genuine church. Seven marks of a genuine church. You know what? A church like this shows unity to a world that needs unity and is crying out for it. A church like this shows peace, shows love, shows all the things that the world needs. Let's go through them quickly. Seven marks of a genuine church. Paul just is like, bam, 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 bam. Let me read it for you. There is, there is, the truth is, there is, it is, the truth, right? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called into one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, that is the center, it's number four, it's in the middle. Jesus Christ is central to the whole idea of unity. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice now, he's, he's operating in threes. Here's three in verse four on the Holy Spirit. Here's three in verse five on the Jesus Christ. Here's one, because God is one, in verse six, Okay? But here's three aspects of God that you need to know, right? God in three persons, blessed Trinity. The Trinity's all over this passage. It's amazing what Paul's doing here and how rich and how deep his knowledge of God and how they interact, right? How they, let us create man in our own image, us, our, they, one God. I don't understand. Seven marks of a genuine church. One body, the church. You can read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. We've just preached through it. It's a call to unity. And I've already said this. Unity is not unanimity, okay? Unity doesn't mean we're all the same. We dress the same. I dressed up today. You like that? I got a ton of clothes in my closet. I just haven't worn them in years. I think I wore this in the first year we were at a church. It's like seven years ago. Is it still in style? You're like, get some new clothes, bro. <laughs> that costs money, man. We're not all the same. Some people think you should wear a tie to church. Then wear a tie to church. Good for you. That's awesome. Some people believe we should dress up. Then dress up. Some people believe it doesn't matter. God doesn't mind. Whatever you wear, be comfortable. That's fine. We're all different. We have different gifts. There's a diverse body. Different races, different sex, different everything, right? But we're unified because we're one in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talk a lot about diversity and yet one body. And so you could just go read that to get a better picture of what I'm saying. We're different, but we're interdependent. Let me say this to you. Look me in the eye now. The church needs you. 
If you're part of the church, then be part of the church. The church needs you. The church needs you. The church needs you to use your gifts. More about that next week. When we're all working properly, it builds itself up in love. The church needs you. Do you need the church? I think you do. I think you do need the church. I think that's why you're here. But I need to tell you, you don't just need the church. The church needs you. Second, mark of a genuine church is one spirit, the Holy Spirit. He is the source of unity. The Holy Spirit indwells each believer, gives us power to live for God, brings God's word to life. If you're not having a good time in the word, if you don't understand what it says, be very concerned. Either there is sin separating you, grieving, quenching the spirit, or you don't have the spirit. But the spirit makes the word come to life. So if you don't read and be like, what, every day, then you ought to be like very concerned. And it leads us to seek and obey Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If we want unity, we must seek the presence and the power of the Spirit. That's why I'm saying to you, if you're reading the Word and you're like, it's just mumble jumble to me, I'm saying something's wrong, okay? Something's wrong. Get help. We're here to help you. That's not normal. That's not right. That's not the way it is with believers. The one spirit will make the words of the Bible come alive off the page. You should want to read your Bible more and more and more, and it should come alive more and more and more. So if not, warning signs should be going off. Maybe I'm one of those guys that he said, Christian but not Christian, and you should take notice. What happens if you gain the whole world and you go to church all your life and you lose your own soul? Don't do that. Read the warning signs. Then this, one hope. I love that he says this, one hope of your calling. You were called the one hope that belongs to your call. One hope, eternal life. Just write that down, eternal life. That's the hope. And this is the reason for unity. Hey, we're all going to be together in heaven, getting along, singing together. Let's get along here. Why? Because we act like we are going to act then. Here. Heaven on earth. Let's act the way we're going to act. We all came from different places. We all came from different backgrounds. I get that. And it's hard to stop thinking in the old ways. I get that. But we all share the same future. We all live by the same book. And we all are going to be forever in eternity with him. And when I say all, I mean specifically those who have one Lord. Okay? So let's get to Jesus Christ now because he's central. One Lord, Jesus Christ. Are you focused on Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you focused in following Jesus? Are you are you? on his teaching. If Jesus did it, did you do it? If Jesus said it, would you say it? If Jesus said not to, would you stop? One Lord, Jesus Christ. He's the only master I have. Now, 
R.C. Sproul said this. I think I can quote it. One Lord, many faiths. That's what the culture will tell you. One Lord, many faiths. That's not true. I've already quoted to you John 14, 6. So this is where unity gets weird because you've been told unity's like smiles and giggles and wide and open. But I tell you what, unity, <laughs> there's some distinction here between Christ and the Antichrist. There's a distinction there. They don't get along. There's a distinction between the truth and heresy. They don't get along. So this, I say this, never downplay the truth in the interest of unity. Never downplay that there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. You can't follow Muhammad. You can't follow Buddha. You can't follow yourself or your own little teaching. You must follow this word and this book. What God says about Jesus is true. Next week we'll get to the verse, chapter 4, verse 15 that says, speak the truth in love. So never downplay the truth. And then this, quickly now, one faith. That's salvation. It's the good news. It's a personal commitment to Jesus. That's how we all get together. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, we've got a problem. And many believe fervently, sincerely, but falsely. And so I just want to give you four things that you got to believe about Jesus. Real quick, you ready? Four things you got to believe about Jesus. Here's the first thing. You must believe Jesus is God. If you don't believe Jesus is God, we've got a problem. Start there. Jesus is sovereign. You must believe that Jesus came to earth and died for your sins. You must believe that. You have to believe Jesus died. Not that he swooned and then woke up later. You have to believe he died. He died, he died, he died. He was a man, flesh and blood, and he died. This third thing. You must believe that Jesus rose in victory over sin and death. Not only was he dead, but he rose in life, victory over your sin, victory over your death. You're never going to die spiritually if you believe in Jesus. You're going to live forever. Your spirit will live forever. And then this, salvation by faith alone. It's not faith plus works, although your faith will produce works. But you're not saved by those works. You are sanctified as you work. Salvation by faith alone. All right, one faith. And then this, one baptism. One baptism. This is water baptism. Um, there's a lot of different disagreement on it, but I'll just say, I'll just say this. You can believe it's water baptism. You can believe it's spirit baptism. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change the Bible and what it says because the Bible is really clear about water baptism and the Bible is really clear about spirit baptism. Okay? And so both are necessary for a believer of Jesus Christ. 
you're going to need to be baptized. Because if the Holy Spirit's in you, the Holy Spirit's driving you like it drove Jesus into the wilderness, right? To be tempted 40 days. And right before that, as he drove Jesus into water to be baptized, as he led Jesus to heal this person or that person or this person, if the Holy Spirit's in you, the Holy Spirit's telling you to be baptized. I guarantee it. I guarantee the Holy Spirit is telling you right now, if he's in you, you need to be baptized. Because that's what Jesus did. So one baptism, water, baptism, immersion. It's a remarkable inclusion in the list of seven here because there's so much division around this one thing, baptism. And so it's so amazing that God's like, yep, put this in the list. Everybody's got to agree on this. By a single act, believers demonstrate their spiritual unity. What's that single act? Christ, death, burial, resurrection. That's the act. By that one act, we go, yep, we're on the Jesus train. It's the right of entry into the church, the local church. It's the sacrament of unity. And then this, one God, Father of all. Father of all believers in this case, before it was the fathers of everybody who's named on earth and heaven. And he's over all, that's his sovereignty. He's through all, that's it. Well, we're vessels. If we're filled with the Spirit, we're empty vessels that he can work through. He works through you. And then in all, in all, he dwells in us. I want to sum up the message this way. I want to put this on the screen. This is what we believe at Harvest. We say it all the time. On the majors, these seven, conviction. I'm convicted about these things. I will not be moved on these things. This is it. And I have unity with everybody who believes that as well. On the minors, tolerance. Tolerance. Tolerance isn't the absent of truth. Tolerance is just truth with love. Somebody needs to write that down. Tolerance is not the absence of truth. That's what the world will tell you. Tolerance is truth with love. It's truth surrounded in love. It's truth immersed in love. That's tolerance. Forbearance in love. In all things, love. Everybody that calls this church their home should have these words on their mouth. On the majors, conviction. These seven things, we're not budging on them. We're unified on them, okay? On the minors, tolerance. In all things, love. Let me say this, and I'll put it on the screen as we go to the next part here. We speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. 